About an hour outside of Ottawa, at the end of a country road, at the bottom of a hill, there's a beautiful lake, a wild garden, and a house. It's where storyteller Jennifer Cayley lives, and where I came to talk with her one hot summer day about the life and work that she shared with her late partner, author, and storyteller, Jan Andrews. I love it. What a spot. Yeah. Jan was widely recognized as a gifted author and a powerful storyteller, but she was also an influential champion of the arts. She was a founding president of Storytellers of Canada, the creator of the StorySave program, and she and Jennifer established a storytelling production company and a successful arts education program called MASK. She was nominated for the Governor General's Award three times, and shortly before she died, she received the Order of Canada. Passionate and prolific, Jan had a profound influence on Canadian storytelling. There was a, there was a vividness, a vitality about her that, that when Jan and I first met, the way I would describe that was, you know, once we, we really got to be passionately engaged, Jan always, she made me always feel like I wanted to fly. She was just a vivid, vital person who thought about her life and felt deeply about her life. Though Jan had been dealing with cancer, her death was unexpected. She was doing well and was active and healthy before she died. But one night in 2017, she had a fall down some stairs. It was, as Jennifer put it at the time, a terrible, terrible, stupid accident. Now, to honor Jan and 20 years of the Story Save program that she created, Jennifer is reissuing Jan's album, Tales of Courage and Kindness, a collection of treasured folk tales she recorded in the mid-1990s. And we're sharing this special episode of Balado, the Story Save podcast, where we hear from Jennifer about who Jan was and the stories that were most important to her. Well, of course, the first thing that comes into my head is Jan was my partner. So when I tell you about Jan, you're not getting, you're not getting a single moment of objective uh, description. You're, you're getting a sense of, of who she was to me as the person that I love to live with. But um, in terms of, of course of this, Jan was a storyteller and she was also a writer. And she was also a very skilled administrator. Um, she was always interesting. Uh, her mind was always going in different directions. But in a certain way she was also a very quiet person by times. Um, and she could be, you know, and she, she worked so hard um, and when she was writing she was just so focused and she worked so hard and every word that she wrote was important she was an incredibly tight writer so she edited and re-edited and edited and re-edited we, we had this we developed a sort of five o'clock beer time rule because if you didn't do that you'd end up with Jan working all night that hard work resulted in many beloved books and then another talent appeared when she found storytelling. Jan, Jan started big with the storytelling. She, 
it was so interesting. We were doing a project together, and part of that project, we went to the Toronto Storytelling Festival. I think it was its 10th year. And we had the enormously good fortune to hear all in one year Alice Kane, Carol McGurr, Celia Lottridge, um, Justin Lewis, Joan Bodger was, a, uh, was around, you know, this, it, it, Marilyn Perringer, an extraordinarily good collection of storytellers. We, it was a wonderful, wonderful festival. And Jen came away from that saying, I can do that. And she was right, she could which I found as a storyteller deeply, deeply irritating because Jan knew how to do it f right from the beginning. I mean, she learned as she went along, but she also knew how to do it exceptionally well right from the beginning, whereas it took me at least 10 years to be even creditable, so that was a bit hard to live with. But she, she just decided she could do that, and, and she did. And she had a very beautiful voice uh, and a very particular voice. And a very, and she was, she's not what you would say was a dramatic teller in any way, um, but she had that ability to hold people uh, in those stories with, with nothing but her voice and her body, um, and, and I think that was a gift to everybody. Some of Jan's first performances were lengthy historical tellings and a show based on the myths of Anana. It would be the beginning of a career committed to huge epics and classic folktales. So she started big, and, and she always loved the folktales. And interestingly enough, didn't like any of that stuff when she was a kid. She thought it was all stupid. But she got, you know, the, the folktales were a, a huge, you know, were absolutely at the root of everything she did over the years. Folktales showed up in Jan's books, were intertwined with personal stories, and were a treasured part of her storytelling repertoire. She told us the fairy tales as so beautifully because she really, she just believed she she understood the reality of them. They weren't, they weren't, they were of course fantasies, but fantasies of the best part kind, fantasies that are built on real life and real life, real people's experiences. And she felt they were, they were an important world heritage that we we needed to keep. And so she told them with great, you know, with great commitment. It's very interesting. Often you'll, children will say things to you like, oh, I just loved all the description. And you realize there isn't any description. What they've loved is all the description that they've made in their own heads. And I think Jan loved that about the fairy tales, which was they leave so much, you know, they're, they're so spare that they leave space for the listener to be creative and spin the world that they need to spin out of the folk tales. That was hugely important to her. Um, she, she loved the, and she loved the structure of it. You know, she was a, she was a craftsperson. She loved the, you know, th those stories have been, from a craft perspective, have been polished for thousands of years so that they're, they're such perfect stories often. Um, and, and she loved that. Um, and she, she believed as a person who taught storytelling as well that you had to start with that foundation of those really good stories to know what a good story was and how it might unfold in your telling of it. She just felt they were at the sort of the center of what you needed to learn as a storyteller. Fairy tales inspired Jan and Jennifer's mid-2000s storytelling collaboration, The Book of Spells, a love story. 
The pair drew from author Sarah Maitland's A Book of Spells, a collection of modernized fairy tales, weaving in their own love story, the good and the not-so-good. And we turned it into a 90-minute show that was really looking at how difficult it had been for us to learn how to live together out of both of our neuroses, mostly my neuroses and Jan's feeling she had to sort of somehow she had to accommodate this and so we did this and it was it was a one it was a very interesting process. Jan and Jennifer played around with two of Maitland's stories about powerful old witches, Hansel and Gretel's witch, who now tends to the needs of young women, and the story of an exhausted young mother who gains the power to fly off into the night, joining a flurry of witches soaring over London. We use the imagery out of the stories to to elucidate all these things that happened with us. So these, these old women, you know, they have this garden. And so at the end, we did a sort of back and forth where Jan says, if you had come to visit us today, you would, you would go down a road and you would, you would come to a garden and you might even see some gardening bottoms, but we wouldn't give you elderflower tea. It would just be ordinary Tetleys. Uh, and it's true, none of the crockery matches. We don't have broomsticks anymore. We do have a vacuum cleaner, but we very seldom get it out. And then it comes to the end where it sort of goes into the image of the witches all flying over London, which which has to do with you know with with the joy of that we have of of living together. So it should have pulled all kinds of images from the stories to show the the links between us and the old women. Yeah. So that even in that piece, which is a personal piece, which in a literary piece, there there is that strong connection to all the folk tales. It's kind of amazing. I mean, it's you made your life together a, a fairy tale. Well, everybody does. Mm-hmm. We didn't go about to do that, but you, you you're every you know because of the way the folk tales are, because they tell you about human life and all aspects of it. Everybody's life is a fairy tale. Um, and it's just when you know the, the te- when you know the stories, you can just see the bones of that in your life if you if you choose to. Yeah, so everybody's not just our life. Everybody's life is a fairy tale. When Jen recorded her album Tales of Courage and Kindness in the mid 1990s, it was a way to collect and share some of the folk tales she loved best. There are classics like Rapunzel. And there are lesser-known tales, like the Scottish story, The Stolen Bairn, and The She. It's about a young woman who goes on a search for her child after he's taken by fairy folk. It's a story like all the others that Jan told. It's a story about a woman who is presented with the most difficult of all problems in a way. She's lost her child, and the child is what she lives for. She, she starts out, and you think she's just going to give up. But then she's encouraged to seek help, um, and the, the help that she's given has to do with making things. She has to make this beautiful feather cloak, and she has to make a harp. And so it's that sense of if she's going to live and if she's going to find the child and if she's going to have her place in the world, she has to do these hard things out of who she is. And then, So I think that, again, in that, it was just one of those stories right from the beginning where Jan could see that sense of of how hard it is to do the things that you have to do and the things that are right and the things that will make 
make your life a good one. Another story on courage and kindness that stands out is Bellany of the Lake. A beautiful woman is brought to land from under the water by a young man named Hewan. She agrees to stay living with him on the condition that he never touches her with the bite of iron. They have children together and live together for a long happy time until one day, Hewan unintentionally does touch her with a piece of metal. She immediately disappears in the lake and Hewan is left heartbroken. Uh, That's a hard one for me because that story, um, that story in a certain way, it feels to me often at the moment and has for a few years now it's kind of like the story of Jan's and my life together in 10 minutes and um, for various reasons it's not just the ending but it's you know it's so I actually tell that story uh, since Jan's died I've told that story a few times and I tell it with two women as opposed to um, Hugh and so I think I mean I I, I mean this the, the, the fairy tales you know, hold, in a sense, all the wisdom of all the world, or all the wisdom of our culture, and all the experiences of our culture. And, and that is just part of life, which is, you know, is that sometimes things happen, and it has nothing to do with, it has nothing to do with your will. You know, things happen, and your life is completely overturned. And, and I think, I think that, you know, and in terms of, of loving relationships, uh, it can be something like happened to Jan and I, which is that Jan fell down the stairs and died. But, but I think there are many other things that can overturn loving relationships that, that there's kind of no help for. Uh, and I think that, to me, that's what that story is about. To me, it, it, it really just speaks so powerfully to um, the, the ending speaks so powerfully to how you don't always have control, even when you're, even when all the intentions are the best, and you know you're tightly bound to somebody that you know that you can lose them for any number of reasons. Do you want to come into the garden? The wildly overgrown garden. Yeah, so this is this is the small piece of the garden that Jan considered to be peaceful. And the rest of it's just a riot of everything. Desperately in need of weeding. Yeah, it's just we just feel you know, we, we very few times do I or did we ever drive over the top of the hill and not think how did we get so lucky as to be here with all the, the loveliness? And you can see there's geese over in the wild race. To talk about Jan's storytelling, we also need to talk about where she lived. Jan did much of her creating at this house on a lake, and many storytellers will remember the days-long epic storytelling events that she and Jennifer hosted at this beautiful spot. One of the things I always think of when I look at the road is the times that we would be telling stories here. And, and when we would start our weekends of storytelling, there would be a lot of tellers walking up and down that hill, rehearsing their parts. And as the weekend went on and more and more people had told their stories, there would be fewer and fewer people walking up and down the hill, rehearsing their stories. 
we had um, 20, uh, 24 books of the Odyssey, 24 tellers. People came from all the way from BC to Halifax to tell. And we had an audience of about, there was about, you know, about the same number of audiences there was tellers. And people camped all over the property here and brought food and, and, and it was just, uh, it, it was an extraordinary experience because none of us had ever had that ability to sit with one story for that long. You know, storytelling, you tend to sort of leap from one thing to the other to the other you had up until then. And, and so to be, to be here in this place where we were kind of just us, um, eating together, drinking together, sleeping together, and all kind of within the context of this one story was just, a, 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 I think, a really remarkable experience for, mi for many of us. It was a huge learning curve. Uh, and very good for people to have to take on hard, very good material that, that really challenged you, I think, that really, really helped people grow. And, and Jan was the sort of, you know, Jan and, and I, I mean, we worked together on this, but she, she, Jan had studied classics at university, so this stuff was all really important to her. And, and we, over the years, we did many, here we did the, we did the Odyssey, we did the Iliad, we did, we did the uh, Mahabharata, we did the Metamorphoses, we did uh, Norse stuff. Uh, you know, we, we did a, a, over a number of years, we did an, a number of these big pieces. And the, it, it was something that actually spread around the world. And there were, there were a number of, you know, there was an American project that developed out of it, there was a German project, there was an English project. People heard about this and thought, oh yes, we, we could do that. And uh, I just think that was one of the great gifts that, that Jan gave to the community, was that loving of and bringing the community to be telling and living in those big stories. That was a huge part of what she did. We're now at the top of the hill and in here. So we, we've just walked up the road and we're at the top of the hill. And if you walk back, into the what we call was called the meadow there's a bench here and this is where Jan's ashes are at the top of the hill here we, we first we put her mom in here when her mom died her mom's ashes are here and we put a plaque up for her mom that said it says best of breed on it because her mom was a breeder of pedigreed cats and so we put Ina's ashes here. And then when Jan died, the September after she died, we put her ashes in here. And her says, it's that quotation from, from uh, Sun Horse, Moon Horse. So what it says is, to the best that is in me. And it has Jan's dates. To the best that is in me. An important line from one of those first big performances that Jan did. A 90-minute retelling of Sun Horse, Moon Horse, an historical novel by Rosemary Sutcliffe. The story imagines the origins of an enormous chalk horse carved into the Berkshire Downs, near where Jan grew up. Back in Jan's old office, Jennifer explains the story. It's called the Uffington Horse, and it's a, a huge, very abstract horse that's carved into the chalk hills. And it's, it's old. Uh, there are a number of chalk horses in England, and most of them are Georgian, so 18th century. And this one is um, Paleolithic. And 
there's a lot of discussion about it. Is it really a horse? Is it a dragon? Is it who knows what it is? But it's very different from the from the Georgian horses because it's re it's it's it, it's like it's running across the hill. It's just really alive when you see it. The hero of Sun Horse Moon Horse is a young artist named Lubrin Du, whose tribe has been conquered by a chieftain named Kradak. Kradak tells Lubrin that he wants him to carve a huge horse in the chalk hills to mark Kradak's victory. If Lubrin does this, Kradak will let the surviving people go. And so Lubrin agrees to do that, and he makes a horse, and it's like the Georgian horses, as far as you can tell, the way Rosemary Sutcliffe writes it. And Lubrin looks at it, and he just knows it's, it's, it looks like a horse, but it's dead. It's not alive. It's not like the Epona, the mother of the horses. It's not alive. And so he, and Karadik looks at it and says, it's fine, you know, you've done your bit. And Lubrin Du says to him, if this is the last thing that I'm going to do, it has to be done to the best that is in me. And then it's a moment in the story when you know that Lubrin is going to have to be sacrificed to the horse in order to make it the sort of ritualistic creature it is. And so they start all over again um, to make the horse that Lubrin can see in his dreams, the, you know, and they make this wonderful horse that runs across the downs. And then Lubrin's people leave and he is sacrificed and, and dies in the eye of the horse as they leave. But that's where the phrase comes from that Lubrin says, you know, I would do this to the best that is in me. And that was, it was a story that was very important to Jan, partly because it takes place in the landscape that is so much hers. But partly it was that sense of the, of the artist who was always seeking to do the best that was in her. Then Jennifer tells me that she and Jan were fans of Pina Bausch, a contemporary dance choreographer who used to ask her dancers, what are you longing for? And I, it's just such an interesting question because Jan and I decided that really every, any piece of art is really about longing, you know. And, and it's, I mean, longing is a word that's filled with, you know, for, was for me, for Jan and for me, filled with, I mean, it's a deeply felt word. It's not like, oh, what do we want to do? You know, it's what's all that longing for. And uh, so that question that Pina Bosch a asked was, a, in the latter years, a really important question for Jen and her work. What, are, you know, what is it I'm longing for? And she always used to say that there were all the individual things, but that overall, she was always longing to do the best that was in her. Jennifer shows me around the old office. Oh, there's that mug. This, this you will be familiar with, of course. <laughs> it's, this is Jan's duck nose. And I keep it on my shelf of important mementos. There's a framed photo of the Uffington horse and many pictures of Canadian landscapes, of Jan's rock climbing adventures and camping trips, Jan's children, and her and Jennifer's many books on storytelling. This was Jan's office? Yeah, this was Jan's office. I took it afterwards because it's, it was bigger than mine. But this is where, you know, I, I sit at my desk and I know and I, when I'm stuck with things, I turn my chair around and I stare out at the lake and I know that Jan did that, you know, for hours when she was writing and storytelling. Yeah, and there's Jan's filing cabinet, which is, I've, I've emptied a lot of it, but in the top drawer, I, I really can't, don't know what to do with it full of old manuscripts and old stories and 
things that have never really seen the light. But Jan wasn't ready to have to go out there in the world, and so it. But it's lovely to have them there somehow, just there. Yeah. So it's 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 so difficult when you do something like this, and I I want to honor Jan, and I but I don't want her to seem like any kind of saint. She wasn't. You know, we our living together was you know hard, like everybody's is. Living with somebody is hard, and we had bad days, and we had good days, and and we had days when we fought about the storytelling, and we days when you know we rejoiced in the storytelling and the writing and all that kind of stuff. But but we lived together. We lived together deeply, and I'm just you know I'm hugely grateful for that. Um, and of course, the downside of that is you think, well, you know what. What will you find again? That's you know. Well, you won't. Well, you won't find it again. But it's that tendency to live a bit on the surface of things after you've had a partner like that. And I think maybe my my current obsession with music is is part of a poor Jen. She'd be so upset to be replaced by the opera. <laughs> Serve her right. Um, it has to do with seeking some intensity of experience again. There's really no alternative besides just getting on and, and doing what, you know, what she was always so good at, which was just putting one foot in front of the other and living the best life you can. And uh, so that's really what I'm doing, I think. You've been listening to Balado, the Story Save podcast. You can listen to Jan's album, Tales of Courage and Kindness, on Story Save's Bandcamp page. More of her recordings are available there and on the Storytellers of Canada Contour de Canada website in the Story Save section, and on Jan's own website, janstorytellingclub.wordpress.com. Jan's last storybook, called When the Wind Came, was published in 2022 by Kids Can Press. Since 2002, when Jan established the program, StorySave has been recording and sharing the work of Canada's master storytellers. The program is supported by Canada Council for the Arts, by the Ontario Arts Council, and by countless storytellers and story listeners. This episode was produced by me, Marion Gruner, with editorial support from the Story Save Committee. Music is by Zakhar Valaha and Music Town. Very special thanks to Jennifer Cayley for her courage and kindness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>